This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome lactation consultant Amy Fields to the show. Amy started off as a labor and delivery nurse over 20 years ago and has since grown her practice to serve Arizona and beyond. I reached out to Amy to join the show today because I know that so many of us who do try breastfeeding run into all kinds of problems that we didn't expect initially, or we have all kinds of misconceptions going into our feeding journey that we quickly realize are not true or accurate. In our conversation today, we help dispel some of these myths. We discuss some of the common struggles that moms face. We discuss the burning question, does breastfeeding ever get easier? And is it normal to feel pain during latching and establishing breastfeeding? One of the things I love about Amy is her really non-judgmental approach to help build out a feeding plan specifically to the family that she is working with, taking all of their needs, values, philosophies into consideration. There is no shame in any way that we approach feeding our baby. So let's jump into my conversation with Amy and dispel some of the myths we have around breastfeeding. The postpartum period is a major transition in your life. Overnight, you went from being able to care for yourself to having a little baby rely on you for every need. Sleep deprivation, crying, uncertainty in your parenting choices, these can all take a toll on your mental health. While baby blues are normal and will resolve on their own in a few weeks, many moms suffer from more. If you find yourself irritable, depressed, anxious, experiencing loss of interest in the things you used to enjoy, or simply feeling unlike yourself, you could be experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety. It might be time to seek help. The Happy as a Mother Wellness Center can connect you with a maternal mental health therapist. We offer teletherapy services, allowing us to connect anywhere with secure and convenient appointments that save you time and hassle. You can access much needed mental health care from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone. Your mental health matters. Take the first step towards wellness by booking a free 15-minute consultation with a mom therapist near you. Visit happyasamother.co slash book to schedule your free consult today. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. 
Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us today. I feel like we've like rubbed shoulders a bit via friends and coworkers. And I know, you know, Asherina psyched mommy and some of our team. And I'm just excited to be here with you today. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to do this. I do love our little community and absolutely love Asherina. And I know that you guys have worked together a lot. So I'm very excited. I was reflecting off air before, like this is our first real like nitty gritty breastfeeding episode, which is surprising considering as a mom of three who like, you know, nursed all my babies, like what a freaking whirlwind it was. So it's yes. about time. It's about time we tackle it. Yeah. <laughs> it is a huge part of the postpartum period for a lot of women. So, you know, I love talking about it. Yeah. How did you make your way into the Instagram space, like in nursing and then as a lactation consultant, now in the Instagram kind of creator space as well? Tell me a little bit about your story. Well, even before Instagram, how I got started was I was a labor and delivery nurse. And I actually started working in labor and delivery when I was about eight weeks pregnant with my first baby. So that was a really interesting experience. Oh my goodness, you're like living it, sort of anticipating what you're going to be going through. Yeah. Yeah. So I had my three children all, you know, two years apart. And once they got a little bit older, I really loved the education piece with my patients in the hospital. And I decided to become Lamaze certified to teach childbirth classes at the hospital. I also was able to start a postpartum support group Mm. for new moms. And it was also at the hospital. So we had a breastfeeding support group there. But there wasn't anything for the moms that either, you know, weren't breastfeeding or like the support group really was kind of triaging the moms that were struggling and there wasn't anything for them long term. So I got the approval and was able to start doing that. And it was a great experience. Mm. So fun. And really to be able to create a space for all new moms, whether they were breastfeeding pumping and bottle feeding or bottle feeding formula. We just, it was a goal of mine for it to be really inclusive and comfortable for everyone. And so that was 10 years ago that I started that. And right around that time was when Instagram really started to come out. Mm. And I utilized first Facebook and then Instagram as a way for us to all stay connected and to take pictures and to have you know, that out there and really to try to use it to bring awareness to what we were able to do in that group. So I started in on Facebook and then Instagram at the very, very beginning. And it wasn't until probably 2018 that I really realized that I could reach more than just the people in my community Hmm. and started to put more effort into it. And it just grew. I love doing it. I always tell people for me, because they're like, we don't know how you have time to do that. Now I have help, which is wonderful, but I don't have little kids anymore. My kids are all adults. They Mm. all grew up. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that I really enjoy doing. But around that time that I started teaching the Lamaze classes and doing the postpartum support group, I became a board certified lactation consultant. 
So there was a little bit of overlap working in the hospital as a labor nurse and working out in the community as a lactation consultant. And then in 2017, I was able to walk away from my role as a registered nurse and just focus on being a lactation consultant. And I I absolutely love it. I own AZ Breastfed Babies. Mm -hmm. It started out as just me, just doing consults in the home, driving all around. And now where I'm at with it is that we have three office locations in the Phoenix area. I have seven other IBCLCs that work with me. We all happen to also be registered nurses, and we all have labor and delivery and or postpartum experience. We also have a team member that does all virtual visits. So she helps moms around the world with everything from breastfeeding, bottle introduction, pumping, back to work plans, and even weaning. So we can help families throughout the entire breastfeeding journey. Mm. So yeah. It's interesting. And this is a curious question from somebody who's not like niched down in this field. Because when I hear lactation consultant, I think specifically just like breastfeeding and like nursing, right? So can you help me understand for the moms who maybe like want a combo feed or how does it work? Like, is it just for breastfeeding moms or how do you engage with other families? We cover all of it. We cover everything from before the baby is born. You know, if mom has had an issue with breastfeeding with a child before, maybe had low milk supply or anything to help prepare for her new journey with a new baby. So we're kind of feeding specialists for newborn babies. So I actually have also worked with moms that are not producing milk at all. And we're just working on bottle feeding. Not all lactation consultants can do that. But it's something that I, you know, have been trained in, especially having worked in the hospital. Yeah, having, you know, I didn't work in the NICU, but I worked alongside a lot of the feeding therapists there. So Um, able to help babies with really maximizing even bottle skills. Mm -hmm. That's important. That's an important part of it. And I do think that there's a certain idea of what a lactation consultant is and does. And some of it is from the beginnings of this profession that really started in the 70s. And in the very beginning, there was a lot of bias about what breastfeeding should look like and that it should be all or nothing. Right. And a lot of pressure. And that is not at all where we're at in 2022. It's really important for me to be very gentle with new parents and new moms and to, you know, make sure that we can cater what it is that we're doing because breastfeeding looks different for every single family and what works for them is very different. Mm. And, you know, that's an important part of it. I feel like it puts me at ease because as somebody who works sort of on the tail end of maybe like negative feeding experiences, um, if somebody's coming into me for breastfeeding stuff, it's usually like how it's impacting their mental health or, you know, just how it's been handled with others and like pressures that have been applied. Like there's so much that goes with it. Often it comes up in amongst like other things that have gone on, like birth traumas or just, you know, struggling to adjust or postpartum anxiety or depression. Like it usually is in combination with other things. 
But knowing that there are lactation consultants like yourself or others that I could even build more community with, that if I make a referral with a mom who is struggling, that that mental health and that flexibility in what feeding looks like is being considered, right? Because I think that, as you said, and as we can experience on the internet often, Mm -hmm. are like these polarized sides of the feeding conversation. But I think that really to serve mom and serve baby best, there are so many shades of gray and so many ways that feeding can look, especially if we're talking like mental health and trying to combo feed or integrate partners or like like there's so many ways that we can do it to meet our, you know, clients needs like my own personal needs. If it's our family, that it feels good to hear that, you know, you can incorporate all of those things. Yes. I mean, my hope is that a mom is enjoying her new baby. Yeah. And that she feels supported and that we are there to support her goals. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I don't have an agenda. Like I'm going into the situation because I want to make sure that mom is okay. Yeah. And, you know, again, because of my background as a labor and delivery nurse, I know a lot about birth trauma. Right. And I know a lot about, you know, how the birth experience can really affect mom and baby. And with breastfeeding, it's just an extension of that. And it can be one thing that someone says Mm. that can really change things either way for a mom. Yeah. And I keep that in mind when I'm working with new moms. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. As we're talking, it makes me think about some of the myths or like the things that I believed about breastfeeding before I actually (laughs) found myself in the role, I think one of the biggest ones is that like, oh, this is what my body should do. Mm-hmm. It will come naturally. Boy, oh boy, did I learn that this is a skill, <laughs> hey, that we have to learn because I would imagine you confront that day to day, these assumptions that we carry into breastfeeding and what it will be like. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about giving birth naturally, a lot of people now know that that is not the easy route. And Mm. so a lot of times they're going to take classes, they're going to hire a doula because they want to have a natural birth and, you know, want to have the least amount of interventions. But then all of a sudden breastfeeding, it's supposed to be natural. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy because it is a learning experience for mom and for baby. When I had my daughter, she's 23, Mm -hmm. I was a labor and delivery nurse. I was helping new moms and babies all day long when I was on shift with that first latch and getting them started. So when I had her and I got home from the hospital, I remember being very angry because Mm -hmm. no one had told me how hard it was going to be. And I never told all of the moms that I was helping how hard it could be and how much work it is and how much of a commitment. And I remember being very angry, like angry at other people, angry at myself. Mm. Like, how did I not know this? And I do remember as she got older, there was a time when I was like, oh, this, this is why people breastfeed. Like, Mm. this is where the payoff comes in. Yeah. Where it becomes what maybe we would describe as easier because, you don't have to pack the bottles if you're exclusively breastfeeding. Like, you know, you can comfort your baby in so many different ways, but putting them to the breast is one way that you can comfort them. So I distinctly remember that. Yeah, there's a hump to get there, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like, 
I remember thinking, oh, you know, like we've got this like semi figured out our firstborn and we had this nurse and I can't remember exactly her role because she wasn't there for delivery. She may have even been a lactation consultant. I can't even remember her role, honestly. And you could tell that she was nervous for us. Like she was like, are you sure you don't want to stay like the extra night in the hospital and here, you know, there's no cost to me to stay the extra night. She was sort of encouraging us to stay. And I'm like, we're fine. Like we're fine, Mm -hmm. you know, not realizing that when my milk came in, I would be so engorged that baby would cry all night long. And I didn't realize they weren't getting milk. And, you know, it went into like what felt like a mini crisis mode for like a 48 hour period until baby was like stable and getting like gaining weight and getting milk again. Like it felt so chaotic. We had no idea the storm that awaited us upon getting home. (laughs) Right. And like up in the middle of the night, my husband and I are like staring at each other and my mother-in-law is there and she's like, I don't know, like, should we call public health? Like, what do we do? This is wild. Right. And like, that's where the actual learn skills and information and knowledge and pieces that I don't know. We haven't been exposed to. We haven't been taught come into play that we just think, oh, we should know what to do naturally. Yeah. I mean, I'm teaching a in-person prenatal breastfeeding class tomorrow and we do prenatal consults all the time. And one of the things that we do is we have slides that we show and it goes over like day one, you have this mm. sleepy baby typically And you have to wake them up to eat and you do lots of skin to skin. And then day two comes around and the baby starts to realize they're not in utero anymore and they're not super happy about it. And they miss their placenta that gave them 24-7 nutrition. And most babies have a feeding frenzy Mm. where that's all they want to do is nurse, 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 nurse. And it is a way to bring your milk in. Mm -hmm. Like it is that, you know, craziness. It's a feeding frenzy. If you look online, there's a really great article that someone wrote and it's called The Second Night. Mm. Well, this is often when families are discharged and home from the hospital. Yeah. And so they had this sleepy baby that they would wake up and they would nurse. And all of a sudden they have this baby that seems very unsettled and can be kind of hard to comfort and they just want to nurse and nurse and nurse. And then, you know, between day three and day five, your milk comes in. And mm-hmm. if you have engorgement, then you have a baby that needs to learn how to nurse onto a breast that's very firm and it's harder to latch onto the nipple. And if it hurts, like, oh my gosh, there's just a lot. A yeah. lot. And I talk families through that and what to expect and what to do when that happens. And so, yeah. I think the what to expect and to know and some preparedness, because like once we found out what was going on and I had midwives at the time, we got a hold of them via pager, like in the wee hours of the morning. And then I was like in the shower, like hot compresses before every feed until finally things sort of like leveled out a little bit. Right. Yes. But like, no foresight of knowing what to expect or that maybe as engorgement was happening to be using heat or massaging. I don't know. Like we probably would have done things a lot differently had we known. So having that be a part of the preparation, I think is so key because otherwise it's just a total blind side. When it comes to like most common maybe struggles or things that you find you troubleshoot with families a lot, what are some of the common things that come up? 
It really is being able to have that expectation that it is a skill and that there is a learning curve is very important. And to know that there's an initiation phase. So there is a point where it is a lot of work and that it's okay to take breaks when you need to. Mm. And I think in the very beginning, that's the big struggle, right? Getting breastfeeding established and figuring that out. And then the most common question that we get is, how do I know if my baby is getting enough? Yeah. You cannot see how much a baby is getting. And for me as a nurse, I, you know, was taught to measure everything in the hospital. We were measuring, you know, everything that's going in, whether it's something by mouth or in an IV, we weigh and measure what comes out. And so with a baby, like you can't see how much they're getting. And to be able to help parents through that and to know that we have to look at the big picture. So we're Mm going to look at their diapers. That's a big thing. What goes in must come out. So you're counting and looking at every single diaper that baby has in the very beginning. And then as your milk is starting to transition more, you should start to be able to hear more swallowing when the baby is at the breast. And that is a very quiet, subtle sound. So sometimes you have to turn the TV down or off and you have to really be able to listen to that. That can be so reassuring when you hear that swallowing. Hmm. And then as your milk has transitioned and your breasts feel engorged or even full, you should feel softening throughout the feed. So your breasts may be very full as the baby is nursing. It should start to feel softer. So it's just knowing what to look for and to assess at each feed and then throughout the whole day. That's that big picture that I refer to a lot with my clients to be reassured because not everyone has a scale at home. That's not necessarily something that everybody needs. Yeah. But in between visits with the pediatrician and in between, you know, maybe visits with the lactation consultant, like I have a hospital grade scale. It's a $1,200 scale that I bring to every single right. visit. So weighing the baby is a part of that. And that can be very reassuring as well. But just walking parents through that experience in the very beginning, there's an app for everything, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times an app can be a really great option for families. You can get apps that sync on both phones. So you can have a partner that is tracking the diapers as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody wants to know. I tell new parents, you're never going to be as into poop as you will be <laughs> until you have a new baby. And then everybody's going to ask how much, what color, what does it look like? I think it helps to share the load too, if you've got your partner involved in some of these things, right? Because mom becomes the keeper of all the like maternal knowledge about baby. And so by getting partner involved in some of these things and having them have the app that is shared, I think can help to like distribute some of that knowledge so that when you do go to an appointment or our midwives came to us and did a checkup, like dad would have all the answers as well because he's been involved in keeping some of those records, right? dad or partner. Yes. Making sure that the partner has a role and the diapers are a great one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, burping is another really good one. Like, you know what, dad, you're the best burper that I've seen in a long time. Like I tell dads that Mm -hmm. it's like my secret. I tell dads that all the time. (laughs) 
Because they really need to feel like they're useful and they have a role. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I really try to talk to parents about is that it is hard to explain to a woman before she gives birth. But after you give birth, we become very protective of our babies mm-hmm. and very in tune with them. It's like a mom radar that's going on and we're hyper alert to everything that's going on around them. Yeah. And sometimes even when the partner is the dad or whomever is doing something with the baby, like changing their diaper, it can bring up some anxiety in us. And we, you know, we'll have that desire to like just do it ourselves. Mm. But I think knowing that that's a part of it, it's just part of our instinct. It's part of the hormonal shift that happens after the birth to really just want to keep that baby as close to you as possible. And that when someone else is holding the baby, even across the room, you're just like, give me my baby, give me my baby. baby." Yeah. And that's a very normal thing. And just sometimes to be able to acknowledge that and to know like, baby's okay. Like it's okay to let somebody else change the baby's diaper. This is just my instinct, my protective instinct for the baby. This is normal. Like I think a lot of moms become worried about that and that could be a struggle too. I definitely went through a phase like that with each of my boys. And so I had three sort of similar spacing to you. They were all actually three and a half and under by the time they were all Mm -hmm. born, very close together. And by my second and third, you start to like you have some of the skills, you have some of the experience, you become like a little bit more relaxed in some areas, provided they're not NICU or you don't have trauma or something potentially associated. And I remember even then with my second and third, my mother-in-law would fly out after each of the kids to help and she'd stay with us for a few months. And I would explain to her and to my husband that like, it feels like you have one of my organs and you're walking Mm -hmm. around with it. Like this thing was just in my body and now you're holding it. So like, I'm going to need a minute. Like if you're going to take him, he's got to be like around me, like in my sight. I don't know if it, if I would associate that with gatekeeping, like for sure in postpartum anxiety and in our own perfectionism, we can gatekeep. And for sure, I had some of that behavior as well. But I think that this was much more of like this primal, like you have my organ, (laughs) you have Mm -hmm. something that my body carried and produced. And, you know, so sure, have fun with him and play with him or burp him or change him, but like do it on the main floor where I can see you until I've leveled out a little bit. You know what I mean? And, And I feel like that for me personally lasted I don't know when you feel like newborns are so squishy and like fragile and then they get a little bit of like they could hold their heads up a little bit more. I don't know. I got when they get past this, what feels like a very fragile stage Mm -hmm. and then I would like be able to let it go a little bit more. But it's like this little being comes out of your body. It's a big adjustment. And families will try to be helpful and they're like, go lay down and go to bed. Like, we'll keep the baby down here. And they don't understand that like sometimes that's not okay in the very beginning. Right. So I'll tell, you know, the family, like, how about we get mom in bed with her baby? It's during the day. We're going to do it very safely. And you're going to sit in a chair. You're going to get really comfortable right next to mom. And you're going to hang out and just be there with her so that she can just lay there and snuggle her baby and, you know, maybe close her eyes for a minute and we can just get that fight or flight. We can get those cortisol levels to come down 
and you're there watching over both of them together. Like it might not be that we need to take the baby away from the mom. Right. And in a lot of cultures, that is actually a very traditional thing and a common thing that mom and baby stay together for the first 30 days Mm. and they're not expected to do anything else. People are feeding them, taking care of the home, taking care of other children. So this is something that is cultural and is done. And I think here in the United States, we think that once we get home with our new baby, like we're just going to get back into our life and our routine and our schedule. And that may need to happen, but does it need to happen in that first week or two? Right. Like, can we set aside a week or two to have this little baby staycation? Right. And this little like honeymoon with our new baby where that's all we're doing is we're just snuggling with them and feeding them. And and then the other thing is to know that like, it's okay if breastfeeding doesn't happen right away. Hmm. That's Okay. You know, if you're having struggles and you need to reach out for help and we need to have a plan to ease into it, just because a baby doesn't latch that first day or even that first week does not mean that the baby is not going to latch. So that's really important for moms to know. It's like a myth that like it happens right away or they get it right away, but really it can take some training and learning and practicing. Absolutely. And there can be things like restriction and tension from the birth process. Like if the labor was really, really fast and the baby torpedoed out, Hmm. they're going to have tension patterns. If the labor was really long and mom pushed for a really long time, we acknowledge that moms are going to be sore and tired after the birth, but we don't talk about what it's like for the baby. Hmm. You know, maybe the baby was in what we call an asynclitic position and their head was tilted and they have that big cabot or that cone head. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're sore. Maybe there was a cesarean birth and, you know, baby just needs a minute. Mm. Maybe there's a tongue tie or lip tie. That's a whole nother episode or a podcast that we could do about, you know, like you have mentioned babies that are in the NICU or when there's birth trauma or so many babies are having tongue and lip tie releases. And that can be absolutely necessary, but that can also be traumatic for mom and baby. It's a lot Mm -hmm. to ask. And so we're trying to do all of these things to help moms reach their breastfeeding goals, but then not talking about like how hard that can be and the support that these families need at that time. So yes, I always tell moms, it's okay if the baby doesn't latch right now. Like it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a plan and we're going to work on it. And, you know, for moms that want to combo feed, maybe they know they're going back to work really early on, or they have other children, or that's just something that they want. They don't want to be the only one to feed the baby and they want other people to be able to give a bottle. Like what does combo feeding look like with breastfeeding and breast milk production? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's an important conversation to have. And I think some moms feel like they can't talk to their lactation consultants about that because they think that we're all like, you've got to have the baby at the breast. Right. You know, you have to be out in a field of flowers with the birds singing (laughs) and your hair flowing and Mm -hmm. the baby at the breast. And that's, you know, not necessarily what it's going to look like. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, 
making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirin Areem's Psyched Mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code rage20. One of the things that we talk about here often is having flexibility around our rigid expectations because... Boy, do we get really stuck when we have a perfectionist ideal of how we think something should go. This ideal that we set before we ever spend even an hour in our role that we try to hold on to so tightly, right? And then when we get in this role and we're like, holy frick, I had no idea. (laughs) But we still try to hold so fast to that expectation that we set. 
And it really sets a tone for our first few days of motherhood where we feel like we're failing in some way if we can't make this thing happen that we feel like we should. So I think that having these conversations that can like weigh things out flexibly and say, you know what, it's okay if we do this and we can work to establish more latch and just like, let's look at the big picture here, as you said, right? I think one of the things as you're talking is the support. And while like, listen, I breastfed my three babies. Like I did that. Dad didn't do that. I did that. But while Mm -hmm. I did that, I feel like breastfeeding is not a one person sport in the sense that when I was postpartum with my second and my third, I required support for my other children for me to invest in the time to breastfeed. And there were certain things that I needed support in and that other support systems in my life needed to come and step into so that I could give the time and energy and investment into this thing. So I think that if we can also, as a group society, moms, community, whatever, challenge the idea that this is just like a one person show, Mm. because I think that that actually can hinder us in a lot of ways. And we don't get the support we need in order to do this thing that we've set our sight on so intently. Yeah. And women were never expected to do it alone. Right. Like they lived in communities and they had their mother and older sister and aunt, like the women would rally. And now we're so separated from all of that. So we do a lot on our own. And I think that's a really good point. And we do provide our families with a checklist that they can, I tell people like, hang it on your front door Mm. or hang it on your fridge. Or we give them a, like a digital copy so they can send it to friends and family. But it's a checklist of things that they could do for the new family. And it includes, even if it's your first child and you have like your four-legged children, you know, Mm because we get really attached to our pets. Like, can someone come walk your dog? Yeah. Because you feel guilty even because this dog is looking at you, you're home, but you can't go play with them or take them for a walk. Can someone come pick up your dog poop? Because that's sitting out there and it's a lot like you're focusing on healing from giving birth and focusing on bonding with this new baby, you know, and then of course, there's the things that everybody talks about like meals, can they bring meals, can they do like housework, even just change your bed sheets because of how leaky you get from every orifice in your body after you give birth and you sweat. But for siblings, can we set up play dates for the siblings? Can we you know, do things like that. Or I will tell families, if your children are in some type of like daycare situation or preschool, if they're too young for school, keep them in that. Even though, you know, sometimes families think, well, mom's going to be off work for 12 weeks. So we're going to take the two-year-old out of preschool for 12 weeks. And I'm like, okay, like, is that the best option for your family? Like, would it be better to keep that consistency or maybe just cut it down to a couple days a week? so that you have time to rest and bond with this baby and know that your two-year-old is well taken care of and having a great time with all their buddies. Yeah. Yeah. I think about, I was just reading this article the other day about the amount of hours in the first year. If you breastfeed for the first year of your child's life is almost the equivalent to like a full-time job. 
And I'm like, absolutely. so obviously that takes away time from other things. And those other things often are things that need to be accomplished. And this is where our community and our support system comes in, right? Because I am the one that did the feeding, yes. But in carving out the time and prioritizing that as a family, others had to come around me to fulfill some of the other duties because I had to feed. Like that was like how our structure was, right? And if it was different, then maybe it would have been like, in, I've talked about this in previous episodes, like in retrospect with how we struggled with sleep and how I had some mental health, you know, like depression after my third and things. In retrospect, now I would plan to combo feed and even share that feed and like the night wakings and things more with my partner. But even in how things were structured before, like moms need that support to even carve out that time, right? It, it is a time, it is investment. Yes, it is free, quote unquote, but those are hours invested and it is time and care. So it's a big commitment and uh, worth it, especially when we have support that can help, you know, underpin that process. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about pain. Should breastfeeding be painful? Like what amount of pain is normal? Because I remember cracked nipples in the beginning, how much of that is typical or not. I don't think that we should expect it to be painful and then not do something about it. Like pain is a red flag. Mm -hmm. And yes, a lot of women will experience pain in the very beginning as they're trying to figure out a good comfortable position or again, like knowing that the baby may have some tension so they can't open their jaw very wide. Okay. Things like that. So there may be things that we need to work through, but I would not say that you should expect for it to be painful and just to give it two or three weeks. Mm. I would say if it is painful, please reach out. There are people that can help work through that and to, you know, make sure that we're addressing that. And nipple damage is never something that should be expected or would be normal. Nipple damage is something that we should address right away. And, you know, it is an opportunity for infection. So we want to make sure we're addressing it so that we're not worried about a breast infection or mastitis. Mm -hmm. And then also just the well-being of mom for her to not dread every single feed. Yeah. I do consults where the latch is incredibly painful and we just change the position and do maybe some oral exercises with the baby before they latch on and we have a pain-free latch. So it is possible. That's so interesting. It is not something that you have to suffer through or expect to just be a part of the journey. I would say that it's a red flag and to definitely ask for help. Mm-hmm. I think that's really validating because for so many, especially on our first time experience, we don't have a sense of what is normal and what is not normal, right? Mm -hmm. And with my first, I learned that a lot of my pain came from baby being latched to soothe and not just to feed. And so there was just a lot of like over like being latched too much and like just too much wear and tear and, and pain, right? Versus once I had established and got further along in my journey and got more comfortable, would know when to break a latch and say, we're done here and we're carrying on mm. and just have that confidence to know that difference. And then it feeling easier with my like subsequent journeys of breastfeeding, though I know that it's different per baby, per birth experience. So it's not necessarily always going to be easier the second or third time around because there's many factors that go into it. 
But yes, that confidence in your skill to know some of these things, I feel like develops over time. Yeah. And I am a person that sometimes I find that less is more. And we have so many things available to us, so many different types of breastfeeding pillows and you know, everybody gets a glider or something like that in the nursery. And I will oftentimes try to take some of that away and try something different. Mm. A breastfeeding pillow, like a boppy or my breast friend pillow can be good. There's a time and a place for it. But I do think that there is just a lot of belief in the fact that we have to prop moms up yeah. With all of these pillows in very unnatural positions. Did they do that a hundred years ago? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there was no propping. There was none of that. And so I am someone that teaches what's called the biological nursing position using the baby's reflexes. Mm. And so I really try to get moms to not just like put the baby to the breast. They'll call it like shove with love. You'll hear some (laughs) nurses and lactation consultants say that. I try to have the baby be a participant and to work towards that latch because babies are wired to be able to breastfeed. They have reflexes. They root, they search, they gape. All of those things, sucking is a reflex that they're born with. And so if we can trigger those reflexes and use them, we're often going to get a much better latch than if we have a breastfeeding pillow that is like a table that we're laying the baby on and we're putting the nipple into their mouth and getting a passive latch. Mm. So I'm just throwing that out there that there may be some moms that are experiencing pain because of how they've been shown by professionals to latch a baby. It brings up a thought I had earlier that I didn't get to touch on when you were speaking about the anxiety about whether baby's getting enough and the scale and sort of these props that we start to use to reassure ourselves that this is working. And for those who I've worked with who've had anxiety postpartum around feeding or just generally speaking, there are a lot of things that can go on in the feeding journey when anxiety is present. So wanting to weigh baby after every feed before and after being very hypervigilant about diapers, not just in like a keeping track of, but there's panic every time we're checking one or feeling like we have to have all of the gear and be in the same place and have everything be a particular way in order to nurse. And when we start to get this rigidity or like have this paralyzing need for reassurance, Mm -hmm. I'm going to red flag that for some anxiety and say that, you know what? And it makes sense. Like on one human fundamental level, we're doing this for the first time. Everything feels terrifying, right? Like it's, it makes sense that there is worry and fear there, but there is also a high risk of one in five moms having postpartum anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. And that can also play into feeding and sleep in all of these areas. So if you feel like you are being paralyzed by this feeding journey, and it consumes your mind about, you know, every feed and if they're getting enough and it feels like it is consuming your, you know, every waking moment type of thing. I encourage you to like think about that, reflect on that, maybe talk to somebody about it because yes. 
I don't think from my perspective, and Amy, you can chime in from your perspective, but I don't think that it should be that paralyzing and all-consuming. No. And if it is, it's going to trickle down past even like breastfeeding or bottle feeding and feeding the baby into the next season mm-hmm. of parenting. And it it absolutely is something that when we see that, we try to have a conversation about it and we have our resources for families that may be dealing with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety and postpartum rage and all of that. And your account's done such a great job of having conversations about all of that. And it's so important. And it's it's a hard conversation to sometimes have, you know, when moms are so hyper-focused on every single detail Mm-hmm. And we have to be very gentle with them and walk them through that and make sure that they have those resources. And, you know, if having a scale is something that is going to help them, maybe they had a really traumatic experience with another child and failure to thrive. And then we come up with a plan like we're not going to weigh after every feed. We're going to only right. weigh once a day. And right. maybe the partner is going to be the keeper of the scale. The app's for diaper tracking and even feeding, I think those are totally appropriate in the beginning. But after the first couple weeks or the first month, like there's no reason to continue to track every little thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we have that conversation and there can be moms that just are very data driven and they really just like it. They like looking back and they like tracking the hours and it's like, okay, if that's what that's about, then right. I think that's great. But if it's something that they're hypervigilant about and they're obsessing over, then we do have that conversation. Because like I said, I, it's not like only going to be a breastfeeding issue. It's going to trickle down into other areas of parenting. And I go back to what I said in the beginning. I want to make sure that that mom is enjoying her new baby. Mm-hmm. And I want her to look back and to say like that she enjoyed that. It was hard and she did it and she got through that stage and that season and every stage and every season has its challenge. But man, the newborn period, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard. So yeah, I love that we're able to talk about that and, you know, to be able to customize the advice that we have and the plan that we have to make it work with every family because it's going to look different. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And you're right about the postpartum anxiety. It shape shifts. So like just when you think you've made it through one stage, then you get another wave of, oh, I have this to deal with, right? And I, I explained this in a post a long time ago where like, I thought that I just had to white knuckle it through pregnancy until my baby got here and they mm-hmm. were going to be okay. And little did I know that was just the beginning of the fear and anxiety of trying to keep this little baby alive now. And so if we're constantly like just trying to get to the next hurdle for some relief of our fear and worry, I think that's also an indicator and, and a red flag as well. I feel like I could talk to you about this all day long and I'm having all the flashbacks, both good (laughs) and bad of this wild journey. But Amy, thank you. Where can people find you, engage with your services and your content? Yeah, so you can go to azbreastfedbabies.com. So AZ, it initially stood for Arizona because that's where we are based out of. But we do help moms and babies around the world. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at AZ Breastfed Babies. 
And we do take some insurance plans. So if you reach out and there's a form that you can fill out and we can give you that information about how to get your insurance to cover your lactation consults prenatally and all the way through the journey, we would love to share that information with families. So yeah, definitely. That's great. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes so people can easily click through to it. And again, thank you so much for your time today and being here. Thank you. Isn't Amy so lovely? One of the things I value about her stance and approach the most is her client-centered approach and flexibility to be able to build out a feeding plan that works for the family and their values. When looking for a provider, whether it's a lactation consultant or a doctor or a sleep consultant or even a maternal mental health specialist, it is really important to find somebody who can see the situation from all perspectives rather than adhering to a really specific rigid set of values, but being flexible in their thinking and their approach and their mindset in order to meet the needs of the client that sits in front of them. I know that often moms are nervous to reach out to therapists or lactation consultants or feeding support out of fear that they're going to get somebody who doesn't align with their personal values as a parent. But I know personally speaking for our wellness team and my therapist that it's not about our values. It's about helping you understand your values, gaining confidence in your feeding journey or in your own just generalized parenting role. If this unbiased support that really helps to clear the noise out and supports you in finding your own way through feeding and motherhood is something that you need, I encourage you to book in a free 15-minute consult with our wellness center. Our therapists are trained to focus on what you value, the mother that you want to be, and help pull that out of you rather than give you advice and tell you about how you need to approach things. Sometimes we just need a neutral, unbiased person to be a sounding board to help us process these values out loud. And our therapists can help you do just that. Head to happyasamother.co slash wellness to learn more. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here. Same time, same place next week where human resources and return to work expert Allison Venditti is joining the show. We discuss all things about taking a leave you need to know, how to tell your boss, going off on leave, reintegrating into the workplace after leave. Allison is our parental leave expert, and you do not want to miss this conversation. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job. 